Daniel chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible at home, which I hope you have, you can open it up and follow along with us, but it will be on the screen as well. And this is what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my gods and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while laying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its, its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruits abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it were wild animals who found shelter, and birds lived in the branches, for, it, for every creature was fed. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while laying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was the Holy One, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, let the animals flee from under it and the birds from the branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the fields. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kings of the earth and gives them to anyone who he wishes and sets over the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means for none of the wise men in my kingdom who can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let this dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, my lord, 
it is only the dream applied to your enemies, if, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the fields while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by him. This is my interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree the most high has issued against my lord, the king. You will be driven away from my people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree and its roots that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. And this happens to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as his words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what has been said about King Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hands or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to the throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble.
Tim, I'm going to invite you to come up, and then I'm going to pray for you and hand over to you this morning. Let's pray together, church. Father God, I want to thank you and praise you for your word. I want to thank you for the truth that we read within it. I thank you that you are so good. And I pray for Tim this morning. I thank you for him. Thank you for the preparation that he has put into this message. And I pray, Lord God, that it speaks to our hearts, that it won't just be a nice message, though, that we hear on a Sunday morning and then forget about it. Help us not be like the people that we read about in James who look in a mirror, see the blemishes, and then walk away and forget them. But help us this morning, we pray, hear your voice, hear what you're calling us to do, hear how you're calling us to respond and be obedient to your words. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Luke. Is that okay? Yeah, let's, um, let's go for it. It's very nice to be here uh, this morning with all of you. Uh, real honor, Luke. Uh, for you to invite me, particularly given that you know me. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put these on because I have a bit of a, an issue with my eyes, um, so it helps me to read a bit better. So back in August, uh, Luke was kind enough to come and preach at Honiton Family Church, and he spoke really, really powerfully on Daniel chapter 3, and it kind of prompted me to read uh, the book of Daniel, and the next chapter is a passage through which I believe God is speaking something to, to me uh, and to all of us today. As always with the Bible, there's so much to explore and to take in. So uh, I'll just focus on some of those things as we go through the passage, uh, given that I'm only allowed to speak for, was it five hours? Yeah. <laughs> well, what interested me, first of all, is that we encounter this particular story, this particular chapter, through the perspective of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. Every other chapter is told by a narrator or by Daniel, who is one of God's people. But this chapter is told through the lens of Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king of Babylon, the great superpower of the age, a mighty nation that ruled and, and, and controlled the world through this man, a man who has achieved such wealth and success and renown for his name and for his kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar has prospered, and he has won prosperity for many of his subjects. Nebuchadnezzar, the victorious conqueror of nations, whose power stretches across the whole earth. And in Daniel 4, we hear his words, the words of the most powerful man on the planet at the time. And his words are praising God for the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High has performed for him. Verse 3, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. It's intriguing. What are these miraculous signs and wonders that God has done for this king who we might think has everything? Well, Nebuchadnezzar is relaxing in his palace, enjoying his wealth, hanging out with his concubines, probably playing cards, and uh, he has a dream, one which upsets him because he can't understand it. He can't see what it means. He doesn't know. And so Daniel's called along with the king's magicians, and Nebuchadnezzar knows that Daniel 
will make sense of it. Daniel, says Nebuchadnezzar, has the spirit of the holy gods in him. Daniel is faithful to the Lord God, the God of Israel and Judah. He's smart and he's diligent. He has integrity, but he also learned to thrive in exile in this foreign land, in his new normal. But even though his life is so totally different now to what it was, Daniel still honors his God, still prays regularly, and he maintains his allegiance to the Lord Yahweh. Daniel is is wise, he's gifted, dependable, trustworthy, he will help Nebuchadnezzar understand what this dream means. And Nebuchadnezzar describes this strange dream of a tree, vast and strong, reaching up to the heaven, producing abundant fruit and giving shelter to many animals. This tree was massive, incredible. And then in the midst of this dream, um, a watcher or messenger comes down from heaven and exclaims, cut the tree and chop off its branches, scatter its fruit, let the animals flee from beneath it and leave its stump and roots in the ground. Let him have the mind of a beast. This is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Okay, Daniel, what on earth does that mean? It seems a bit intense, doesn't it? Like, you know, a bit Old Testament, not your typical dinner party conversation. Nebuchadnezzar cannot see it, but Daniel can. Daniel does see. In verse 19, says that when he hears Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel is perplexed, troubled, even terrified. Daniel tells the king he wishes the dream was about someone else. But by then he can't hide his feelings. And he tells the king, oh my lord, the tree that you saw, which grew great and strong, it is you, O king. Poor Daniel, eh? Vulnerable, exile, slave Daniel has to break it to the most powerful man in the world that the Lord God sees the king and like the tree which is cut down to its roots, God is going to break him down, tear up everything he's made and drive him away from human society. Man, in desolation, Nebuchadnezzar will be amongst the wild beasts There will be no wine and meat to feast on, no Netflix, no Facebook, but he will have to eat grass out in the rain for a long time, seven times, meaning a lot more than just a few days. Sound familiar, huh? His life is going to be reduced so that it resembles a tree stump until he learns that the one who truly rules the world is the Lord God and not human beings. But why? Why is God going to do this, hey? Why is the Lord threatening Nebuchadnezzar in this way? What's he done? Isn't 
Isn't he like a nice God, a loving God? What's Nebuchadnezzar done to deserve this? So Daniel explains why this is going to happen. And he tries to persuade the king to see things clearly. Verse 27, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Do we see what's going on? Here it is revealed to Nebuchadnezzar that whilst he has ruled this great nation, this powerful kingdom which reaches up to the heavens and across the world, a nation that brings prosperity and shelter for many, many people, like the tree in the dream, he, he can't see. He can't see it. He can't see what has, what has happened underneath this great nation. Because of the blindness within his proud ambition and the ignorance of his desire for absolute power, he's failed to notice the multitudes and hordes of people that he has oppressed and flattened, killed, or just treated so, so poorly and unjustly in order to achieve the comfort and the great nation and the prosperity that he and his people now enjoy. He thinks that this kingdom is somehow all for him and that he built it. But the lowliest, the most humble people are suffering as a result. And Daniel shares this terrifying reality that God will take everything away from Nebuchadnezzar if he continues to live for himself like this. Let's just stop a second. Can you imagine being in that room in that moment? I mean, awkward, right? That would be so intense, having to tell Nebuchadnezzar that, that his whole life might crumble down if he doesn't just totally do a U-turn and change his ways. If you think sometimes telling your neighbor to move their car is scary, or if you get a bit intimidated asking your mother-in-law to not interfere with how you look after your kids, then get a load of this, right? I mean, I'm in awe of Daniel in his utter weakness. How incredibly brave he was telling the most powerful man in the world that God will bring judgment upon him unless he changes the way that he treats the poor and the oppressed, the outcasts, the foreigners, the infirm, the old, the unproductive. I mean, it makes me think about people in this world right now who are blind to the cries of the helpless, the poor, the sick, those who are fleeing places of oppression and suffering and yet whose cries are just ignored or maybe never even heard, blocked out by those who sit in palaces of power and success, enjoying the excess of their prosperity. And if they're challenged, they just simply raise their hands up saying, oh, it's not my problem. Let's put ourselves first, right? Let's only be concerned about COVID. There are people today, folks, in our country and in other nations all around the world, as well as brothers and sisters in Christ who are treated like animals. Because some of us in positions of power 
and responsibility for others just do not see, cannot see, or refuse to see what God sees, who God sees, who God loves, and who God weeps over. This passage isn't fun, but it screams out a warning to all of us in positions of influence to make decisions that affect the poorest and the most vulnerable in our world, but like Nebuchadnezzar, are sometimes too blind to see. And we all need a Daniel to tell us. Daniel the faithful, Daniel the brave, Daniel the voice of truth, the voice of God's kingdom, God's economy, people in business, politicians, parents, the gifted and the talented, church leaders like myself even, we should all listen to Daniel. Because we might be a bit quick to put ourselves in Daniel's shoes. But often, are we really the voice of Daniel? Really? I'm, I'm so passionate, as you might have picked up, about a lot of these issues of justice and equality, but I wonder whether maybe sometimes I am perhaps a little bit like Nebuchadnezzar sometimes. I wonder if there are ways that we all live that seem right and good and true, but we nevertheless just do not see how we can hurt and damage others by our words, by our assumptions by our actions and even our ambition. Don't get me wrong, I think, I think there is a big challenge here for people in positions of serious power, particularly those who struggle to lay down their power when it should be taken from them. <coughs> but this challenge is real for each one of us too, if we are humble and willing enough to see during this unprecedented time where our world is living in a way which is threatened, uh, constrained by restrictions and limits, it's too easy for us to convince ourselves that, that we are the only exiles, that we are in a foreign land, that we are the ones who have been hard done by when there are people throughout history who have known that as their norm for a lot longer. And there are so many ways that we enjoy the benefits of Babylon. And there are ways that even us as a church helped build Babylon as well. Most of us in this country have had the opportunity of a good education. And, and that's not wrong. That's just fortunate. Some of us have a certain skin color or gender, which means that we're more likely to get higher paid jobs than other people. And that's not our fault necessarily. We can't help being fortunate. Some of us have been given incredible opportunities as individuals to achieve what, what we dream in life. And that's been great. That's really good. It's to be celebrated. Yet at the same time, that often means less for someone else. Some of us maintain a very, very sincere and pious and deeply personal relationship with God. And who is this, this visiting preacher with the checkered shirt and the orange glasses trying to challenge my faith and make me feel bad and question that? I've heard people say to me that they just aren't called to love the poor and the oppressed 
or the lonely or the marginalized, the last, the least, and the lost, and that that's somebody else's calling. Well, you're probably right. It was Jesus's calling. And he called each of us to follow him. In August the 28th, 1955, a 14-year-old boy called Emmett Till was dragged from his town by, by two white men, shoved in a car, beaten beyond recognition, and then he was drowned in the Tallahatchie River. The reason was that he apparently made aggressive sexual advances on a poor young white woman who all these years later has admitted that he hadn't made any advances whatsoever. This little black boy was brutally murdered for a racist lie. Meanwhile, some people challenge the injustice of that. Some people just merely feel sad about it, and others just don't even see. I think God and God's challenge to Nebuchadnezzar is a big jugular challenge for us too. For those of us in the UK who enjoy a tremendous amount of privilege compared with most others in the world, not to feel bad, but to recognize it and live accordingly. Maybe even in this congregation, there are some of us who have a lot of power and influence. And, and as decisions are made in the church, we may be keen to express our opinion, but ignore the voices and the perspectives of the less powerful, the less vocal, the less confident. This whole pandemic brings a challenge to some of us who've enjoyed relaxing in our homes whilst others are on the verge of breakdown right now from the stress and the isolation and the, and, 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 and the burdens of our responsibilities and the total upheaval that it's brought. And if, you, that, if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you that God is, is with you and he loves you and he is present even if you can't feel it. Each of us has a responsibility as God's people to love and serve one another, not just ourselves. I've also been struck by verse 19, and I've been wondering, why is it that, that Daniel was so distressed about Nebuchadnezzar's dream? We remember him as a great man of God, someone who didn't compromise his own personal allegiance to Yahweh, but here he is, He's terrified. Why? Has he got a lack of faith? You know, I, I, this, I can't be positive about this, but I, I just wonder if maybe, maybe Daniel had sort of become a little bit accustomed to the riches and the power of Babylon by this point. He was a well-known man of renown. He was in there with King Nebuchadnezzar, living in the palace, and I wonder if he was a bit worried because the king had given him a pretty good life actually and maybe Daniel was worried that he might be affected in some way if Nebuchadnezzar didn't change his ways verse 17 is is maybe helpful as it says the most high is sovereign over the kingdom of mortals he gives it to whom uh, to, he, to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of human beings in other words, God's reign, the kingdom of heaven, rules over 
all earthly kingdoms. And he rules them by flipping the world upside down, by humbling the proud, exalting the lowly. And the Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 1. He says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing the things that are. I think Daniel's reaction is a challenge for some of us who, like him, maybe enjoy our comforts. We like our global holidays where we get to go to nice places and we don't have to think about the impact on the environment. We like our reputation and the fact that people will protect us and make us feel good about ourselves if we help them out. We, we have relationships with influential people maybe or are used to coming out on top if we just play the game that we need to. Are we willing to risk our positions, our jobs, status, credibility and even our friendships to speak and act in a way which challenges those who hurt the lowly and the humble? Or will we overlook it, even justify it and, and not see it because it might threaten all that we hold dear as well? Here in Daniel 4, we see a king who had everything, who had reached for anything he could in order to succeed and was powerful and accredited his kingdom to himself. And yet it was all stripped away from him, and he was humbled until he realized who God was, and therefore who he was. And King Nebuchadnezzar, after he realized this, was restored. And just coming into land, King Nebuchadnezzar stands as a polar opposite for us of a very, very different king. There is a different king I've met personally who had everything, who is everything, and yet this king, he didn't grasp at what he had. Instead, he humbled himself, laying it down and, and stripping himself of all of his own power, taking the life of a servant of all. This king clothed and clothes himself in the blood and wounds of broken, sinful people like you and I, making himself a broken, sinful human being, living under oppressive powers, showing us how to love the unlovely, how to live, how to bring the light of God into a world that doesn't see because it's often so dark. This king revealed a way of life that drastically changed how we see what it means to be human. And he suffered to the point of death, totally innocently, even death on a cross. This king died for a kingdom which stands in direct opposition to the kingdom of Babylon. This king has showed his power through his powerlessness. And because of it, he has been exalted to the highest place. And he robs us of our obsession with power and control, 
our pride and insecurities, our fear and our desire for ourselves, our ideas of success and prosperity. His signs and wonders are miraculous because he opens our eyes so that we can see him and enter his kingdom through a suffering love. Jesus Christ reveals a new way to be human, the way of the cross. If we're willing to look, if we're willing to glimpse and, and, and see. And it is this King, King Jesus, who we owe our allegiance today. Let's not set our eyes on Nebuchadnezzar or even fully on Daniel, but let's set our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the completer of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. So in this time, let's not ignore what God might be saying to us all, I don't think God has caused coronavirus, but I think he can use it redemptively to enable us to see him. And let's recognize that God is God and that we are not. Let me just pray and I'll hand back to Luke. Father, we thank you that you hold all things in your hands and that you are making all things new through the redemptive work of your son, Jesus. By the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who creates life out of death and, and makes light arise in darkness and brings love where there is fear and even hate. We, we turn to you again as your church, as your body on earth and long to be the church of Jesus Christ. So for those of us who are not considering others right now but concerned about ourselves, we pray that we might see you in the lives of others who are desperate. And for those of us who are struggling, we pray that you would assure us of the promise of your presence for those people whose lives are in shadow right now. We glorify you and we rejoice that you are not the God we might choose, but you are far, far better than that. And we worship you, the sovereign Lord who rules and whose kingdom has no end. In Jesus' name, amen.